0: Welcome to the We Should Record This podcast. Conversations around deconstructing, rebuilding, and finding home in our faith and life together. We're glad you've joined us. It's our sixth and final episode for season one. We're talking the nitty-gritty of unity this week, and we can't wait to hear what you think. And in the meantime... Send us messages. We love getting feedback from you, and we look forward to our next season where we're going to bring you some special guests and keep talking about these conversations that we should be recording.
1: Hi, I'm so excited for today's episode. It's Nicole, and I'm here with Karina, and we're talking about the thing that makes my heart go aflutter. We're talking about community, and in community, what unity and diversity look like. And so this has been, um, for me, it's kind of one of those pinpoint markers of where this journey began for me is understanding that there can be unity inside of diversity, in community, that it's all connected and it's okay. And so as we jump into this topic, we're not sure whether we're looking at one episode or 85 as we go into this, because this is such the core of where our hearts are. And so to get us started, Karina, can you talk about the difference between sameness and oneness and how unity, to quote our favorite, the Princess Bride, that word may not mean what you think it means.
0: Yeah, I do not think it means what you think it means. I absolutely think that that is a word we love to toss around um, and we'll call people to unity and we need to be unified and, and um, I think what, what we end up doing is actually substituting uniformity, and and calling it unity. And the truth is, is that unity almost requires differences that choose to be together. Um, so when you know when when it when you get in places where it feels like there is one way to be. Um, in order to be acceptable. I think it's kind of what we talked about in a previous episode about the difference of belonging versus fitting in. And you know, you, you throw out the idea of a puzzle and the thing that makes a puzzle work is the different pieces yeah. that, have, that fit together. I mean, you, you, can, you could get a puzzle where all the pieces are the mm-hmm. same and, and it doesn't matter how you put it together. And, and it would just have to basically be a single color square and it would take you no time at all and it would get together without any trouble but it would suck (laughs) like it would be boring it would it would there's no why would you show up for that puzzle I you know but um at the same time to work to achieve unity where we recognize there are differences of opinions of interpretations of ways of being of ways of interacting with our faith that requires internal work that requires something of us and and you know i think a lot of the if it's true that the kingdom of god is within us and that it's something that overflows from us i think a lot of times that journey to unity has to start within us so that we can extend it to the people that we are in community with, the people that we are bumping up against in in our life. And we have to be able to move in our own selves to have a brave space in us where we can hold all those parts of the things that we know and the things we're not sure of and the things that bother us and the things that we feel confident in. And we kind of have to get that acceptance formed within us so that we can extend it outside of us so that we can move to appreciate the things that are different from us and the views that are challenging to us and that we can hold that cognitive dissonance of different ideas that aren't deal breakers so that we can actually grow and be transformed and, become more together than we cut apart. And we've got that metaphor of, of, you know, that community looks like being a body and there's all different levels that you can apply that to. But I think we don't really believe it's possible. I really think that we, when we've got these small views of God and of his spirit and of, and of the Christ, We have these small, contained, narrow view. We can't become a body because there's no concept of how very different a stomach is from a foot.
1: (laughs) I think that, you know, that analogy of the body is used so much within the church because it is how we were described. But I think that when we started talking about sameness versus oneness and like the diversity of all these parts coming together, I had to stop looking at it as the dismembered body of Frankenstein coming together, like your Frankenstein's monster coming together, Mm -hmm. and actually go deeper and look on a cellular level. The cells, we are the cells, we are all the same in Christ but when we're linked to each other we create different things and we are all still connected in Christ at that cellular level but our diversity is what makes a fully formed functional healthy body and when I stopped looking at it as as the chopped up Frankenstein monster thing it seemed less awkward and more organic to what God intended when you look at creation creation is diverse Mm -hmm. and that represents the heart of God like he dreamed up all that we see and are and so why in the world are we trying so hard to undo that and become I grew up in a sci-fi house like why are we trying to be the Borg why are we trying to or Pirates of the Caribbean part of the crew part of the ship like why are we trying to Morph into all of the same thing when God meant for us to be individuals. And I remember having this moment while I was on church staff. We were every Monday, we would get together for prayer and staff meeting kind of thing. I can't remember what the topic was, but I was wildly out of sync with the two guys I was on staff with on my opinion of whatever this thing was.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And we're talking this out and talking it out. And I just said, I disagree, but that's okay. And like, no, it's not. We all have to be on the same page. I said, no, I can still be unified with you and I can still move forward in this in a way that makes sense and it'll all happen and it'll all be fine. But Mm -hmm. I have a different perspective. And they just could not understand how I could say I was in unity with a diverse opinion. Like it was, and I think to this day, if you were to ask them, like, what is it? Five years later, I think they would still think that I was insane for saying that. But I think that that's the crux of this is that we can have diverse experiences and even opinions and still be in unity within the community of Christ Mm -hmm. because he is that foundational level, not all of the other things we tie to the Christ, but just Jesus, you know, And I think that that's where we have to start looking at the difference between our end goal being entering a relationship of understanding versus being right in what we're saying.
0: Yeah. I think that is a relationship of understanding is, is a posture that is I think vital to building true community where, where we get to be our authentic selves and on our, where, where the, we is bigger than me. And, and I think when we've got a small faith, that's afraid to ask questions. Mm -hmm. We can't go for understanding. We just have to move from like a posture of understanding is a relational understanding. It says that, that I'm committed to connecting and understanding the person across the table from me. And that's a subject subject to subject interaction. It's like, I'm, I'm identifying with your humanity, with your God given dignity. And so I'm going to try and understand where you're coming from, what's influenced you, what, and, and I'm confident enough in who I am that we can be different. And I mean, and then when my goal is not to be right to win, because I mean, if you go to any kind of marriage conference or relational teaching, often there will be this concept that if, if the goal is to win, both people are losing. Right. in the in the relationship but when we move our goal to understanding it causes us to actually we have to be aware of our own world we have to make room for what's going on there and we have to be okay with i understand where you're coming from even if i don't agree with you it's more important to me that we stay connected that i don't start seeing you as an idea or like when I start thinking, oh, I'm going for objective truth here. What I start doing is objectifying the person across the table from me and then they become an idea and it's way easier to get rid of ideas than it is to get rid of people. And right. I think that's that's what we do is we create caricatures and these, I don't know, these these weird pictures of like, this is what, women who think that they should be able to preach are like this is what feminists are like this is what men are like this is what pentecostals are like this is what muslims are like like you just you i I don't you pick it whatever the topic is we decide we get an idea of what they're like and then we disconnect from the humanity in that and then we can get rid of it and then we can give ourselves permission to engage however we want because now we're just getting rid of an idea we're not we're not wounding a person we're not disconnecting from relationship we're disconnecting just from an idea and it ends up hurting the whole because we're missing out on the benefit of that different perspective and different function and different reality. Um, I think it brings me back to what it what is community about? You know, it's our it's our common union. And when our common union is same beliefs, then as soon as somebody questions or disagrees, we've got to kick them out of community. But what if we start making our common union around being image bearers or that we're all journeying through life together, doing our best to hear and understand and figure out what's going on instead of going, everybody fall in line and here's your answers. Like, let's just feed the information into you so that you can feed it out. We're not getting true community when we do things like that. And uh, I've got here in our notes this this idea that there are no team jerseys in faith and i think that was your concept i would love to i would love to hear how that how you came to that because i just think it's it's fantastic like i think if we can embrace that concept we'll be better for it i think it
1: comes from really becoming aware of when you are quote-unquote othering people and that you know back, up, you know, like back in my own journey, there was a time when I was very different than I am now. And even now I, I know a lot, it's hard to put it to context, but I was very, I was a very good evangelical church girl. Mm-hmm. And I was very inside that box of rightness and righteousness down to like i mean i didn't recycle because that was like tree hugging yeah. like alternative property it was all of that stuff totally so when i go back and i look there had to be an intentional journey towards understanding and towards not using the terms of well, they all or those people are all like
0: yes and it
1: came from making myself stop and question that, um, we joke in our family. I love disco. I do. Um, and so we listen to the song, uh, everybody was Kung Fu fighting and inevitably someone in my band will pipe up and go, well, surely not everyone was Kung Fu fighting. There had to be some who were abstaining. And that's, <laughs> that's where my mind goes. when we start having these conversations and someone says, well, they all do this. And I'm like, surely not everyone was Kung Fu fighting. Like, yeah. Surely not all of them are like that, you know? Yeah. So that's where I think we have to start. When we start using terms of, well, they all do this, or those people believe this, we have to stop and go, surely not. Like, there has to be some that are not that way. And if there are some, then there's probably more than we think. And we need to stop generalizing because that generalization gives us the distance that we're talking about. Yeah. And allows us to put people at arm's length and remove their humanity and only see the ideas. And that's where our team jerseys come into play. You know, my kid plays football and so they have a number on the front and on the back. And so, and his team doesn't put names because they're all about the number. You represent the team, you're not about yourself. And that's where it's great in a team mentality because they are the board on the field. They are all one and they are all moving to a common goal. That's a really crappy way to do church and Jesus following. Right. When we all hand out jerseys for our specific denomination or a specific theological belief, and anyone who doesn't have a journey, the same jersey as us, yeah. we're on attack mode when we see them. That's not the way of Jesus. Right. Uh, the disciples didn't have jerseys. Neither did the followers. Like, they weren't team colors. They're they meant to disperse and go and build relationships and integrate into the communities that where they were sent to that's what we're meant to do also. And that doesn't mean like becoming undiscernible from the ways of the world. What it means is I can sit down at a table without, you know, uh, Jesus saves placard blocking the view between me and the other person. Like Jesus saves can be written on my heart. It doesn't have to be written on my face. You know, like it just, there's a difference and it's all of those things that stop us from entering community. If we can say those people are not like me because they believe this, therefore I don't have to be in community with them. Therefore I have no grace for them. And before we started recording today, we had an interesting conversation between the two of us. And I confess there are people I have a really hard time extending grace to a specific section of people of faith that I struggle with. And I'll be straight up. I have a hard time with leaders and pastors. Mm. I can give like my heart can mush out and spread out in all directions for people of faith who are journeying and are struggling to find their footing. But if you're a pastor or leader and you're acting in a way that I believe is other than you should, my grace stops like Moses with the red sea. And I need to address (laughs) that. I need to work through that and be more gracious towards leaders. But this is part of the humanity in the conversation. I have to remove my visual understanding that leaders and pastors have a different jersey than me. And yeah. understand that we're actually all on the cellular level, part of the body of Christ. And I think that's what I mean by how it's just one more way that we divide rather than being diverse.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think you're alone in having people that it's really hard to not other. And, and I think, and I think especially when, when we feel, you know, we enter into the stories and the pain and we start um, like having experiences that, that go, oh, wow, I, that, that thing that maybe at one time in my life felt neutral to me was really damaging to this group of people. And then I think it's really, when you're in a process of transitioning in your faith and, and, or whatever you want to call the the process that so many are going through, I think we cannot deconstruct in the same spirit we constructed in the first place, or we're going to end up with just a different version of the same thing. And so when we've come from cultures where it's been, um, these dominant leadership styles and and leadership that's disconnected from heart and humanity and we're just about you know well the bible says this so i can forget about the way that i'm engaging or that i can disconnect from my own humanity and and so we're kind of been raised in a culture that has lots of judgment lots of fear whatever it's actually really easy to deconstruct into just the same thing with a different jersey and and i think um i see that in myself and so when i'm in this process of deconstructing what i actually want to do rather than going i don't want this thing to look like that anymore and then we just choose the opposite reflection but it's got the same spirit and when we're deconstructing, I think we need to really take it down to the place where we're going. Fundamentalism, any ism, is just not okay because it it puts me against somebody else. And so when I deconstruct from evangelicalism, and then if I go into progressivism, I'm going to end up doing the same thing it's just i've got a different team i'm pointing at now it would be it's like it's like switching from the riders to the bombers and i know this is okay this that was, was right way i thought you were freaking me out for a minute that you i know right i know but but if you were uh and i'm trying okay guys stay with me i'm going to try and sports metaphor my way here and i do not do this but it would it would be like you're a diehard riders fan And you can't stand the Bombers and everything goes there. And if all of a sudden one day you're like, oh, wait a minute. The Riders aren't the best team. The Bombers is the best team. And then you you just start doing the same thing. It's just that you're cheering for someone different. We have to actually move out of that team mentality and go, sports is great for sports. It sucks for faith. And we need to come to a place where we can actually move out of the judgment seat, which we're not invited into in any way. And we've got to stop calling judgment discernment. like We just have to call BS on that and just go, that is just not your place. And so now when I want to go, oh, but that other guy is doing that thing and I hate it and I hate his theology and I hate the way he does it, it's going... I'm actually not invited into that place. I'm not invited to take up that role. I am invited to the mercy seat and I am invited to have whatever boundaries I need in my life, but I'm not invited to not love that person and to not decide that I know the motives that drive them and they're evil. And they have, you know, a pet dragon in their closet that they feed small children to because they're not my team. They're not my expression. They're not my way. We need to do better than that. I think and, that is
1: vital in this because, as I was saying last time, the pastor, one of the pastors I had growing up, talked about for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. And our tendency is to sway from ditch to ditch as human beings.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Staying in the middle of the road and understanding that those ditches are emergency locations and not actual thoroughfares, like, you know, and understanding that if we want something different than we've always had, we have to be different than we've always been. And for me, I don't want a church that is exclusionary and abusive and top heavy. So I can't be that in these conversations although that is the nature because that is how I was raised in the church is under the umbrella of patriarchy and structure that yep. is very um, concrete. Yep. in it's understanding of who holds power. Yeah. I think the conversation of power in church needs to end. There shouldn't be anyone seeking power within a church structure. There should be, a circle and I think that's one of those things that I'm learning the more I am connecting with my culture the more I'm understanding the power of a circle of community chairs around a circle where no one's at the head and we all are held accountable mutually and we're all supported mutually and we all have a voice and I think that that's so foreign to our western concept of how anything is done that it seems like witchcraft and voodoo half the time but it's not it's actually Community, and I don't think that when Jesus sat around with his disciples, they were at a boardroom table with him at the head of the table. I think they sat in community, and although he was teaching them, he was learning in relationship with them also because that's the way relationship works. There's no way that Jesus sat around the fire with these people and was not impacted by their humanity, and it didn't alter. Him in some ways. That's the whole crux of how God works. Our humanity affects God as much as he affects us. It's that reciprocal relationship. And I know that will freak the crap out of some people listening, but it is true because that's how God designed it to be. Mm. He could have stayed <laughs> somehow this genie in the bottle, all powerful, right? Yeah. But the itty-bitty living space of being one. He chose to break that mold and build a community with humanity and knowing the cost and knowing the difficulty and knowing the mess that we are as humans, he still chose that. He still chose to be in a relationship and we are never exempt from that. We somehow think that we get to ignore humanity in one another and just move straight towards everybody obey, everybody walk the line, everyone believe the same. And that's not community. I dare say that there is not a soldier who would say that they were in, when they were in rank and and parade, that they were in community. They were in unison. And those are two different things.
0: Yeah. I, I don't have enough of a, a, a picture sometimes of the different ways that community can be expressed too. And I think I, I, Um, those I picture those soldiers being in unison and yet I think when it's operating well everybody has a role to fill but on the battlefield those positions are irrelevant and we're just all together and we're all and and I mean it's probably actually just a terrible metaphor, the whole battlefield thing, because we have no enemies, right? Like that is (laughs) um, within the church context. I get what you're saying
1: because there is, I mean, I'm struggling right now because I'm writing curriculum about the armor of God and I am so messed up when it comes to even my own teachings as a child about what the purpose of, that was and the hauntings of my Pentecostal onward Christian soldier mentality like it's plaguing me because it is this idea that we are not against others humanity and even the verse on the armor of God it talks about our enemies are not people and yet sometimes we edit that out of our understanding and our faith that we feel like demons have taken over those people. Therefore I get to like badger them to death and beat them over the head with my version of the Bible and my version of the truth where that is, there's no mechanism for that. As a Jesus follower, there's no place for us to badger beat and harangue each other into believing the same way. That's not the way of Jesus. And yet somehow I oh, not We missed that class like for generations.
0: Yeah. We do. We do. And I think it, it's, we're, we're in, we're in the middle of what that has brought us. Yes. And we're in the middle of a lot of people going, if, if this is what we've built, I am not interested anymore. And I think, we have an opportunity to imagine a different way of being in communion with one another and and we have the opportunity to build things where community looks like connection over journeying and um, and messier, yeah, for sure. and when we have the opportunity to have leadership be a role that is filled, because I, I think it's necessary, at least at this point, that's my understanding and my belief. But there's a difference between having it be a role that is filled than a position that someone has. And I think we can build communities where questions, questions cause disruption but what if we started seeing disruption as not subversion, but as an invitation into growth? And so we look at the ones who have questions and instead of going, that's annoying, stop it. We can start going, where is the invitation for growth here? Maybe it's in the way we say things, or maybe it's even in the way we understand things, but it's actually questions when you look throughout history, the question askers, we at first they, generally we wanna shoot the messenger. But we look back on history and any of the growth that we've had has come through the disruptive nature of questions. Maybe we could, instead of having to fight it and have a violent reaction to those questions, we can start going, here's an opportunity for growth, for more, for a broader understanding. And as we start including more and more of those broader understandings, I think we create space where we can actually transcend what we thought were the beliefs into something that is bigger and broader and more inclusive and, um, and I know those words are really scary in Christian world right now. But I think if we we have the benefit of a lot of history and we can look and go, there has been so much good that has happened because of the question askers, because of the disruptors. And maybe instead of shooting them, we might actually be able to go, this is what iron sharpening iron looks like. Let's, yes. let's stay here and learn from one another and not even demand that you look like me in order for me to understand. Like, even what if we just start practicing, I don't agree with you, but I refuse to be disconnected from you. Like it, it's, it's impossible that I would expect somebody to shift everything to, to become over and become like me. What if we chose to stay connected despite our differences? What changes in our world? What if I start seeing the great things that make us different, that require us to be different, but still influence this person to be a valuable part of my life.
1: Think back when Brad and I went through marriage counseling. Um, one of the things that we were encouraged to do that if we were in a disagreement and it began to escalate beyond the lightly coded honey words <laughs> and become a little bit more intense. Honey. We were, yes. Like when there are, I know Brad's upset with me when he starts calling me honey. I know that <laughs> I'm going irritate him because he doesn't normally. But anyway, um, we were encouraged to physically move into the vicinity of each other, where we're sitting side by side, where our knees are touching, where our hands are touching, because we needed to remember that we were connected in this. And I think that is something that we don't practice enough in our regular conversations. And I'm not saying if you're having a disagreement with your coworker, go up and like hold their head, that may get your visit to HR. Or you, depending (laughs) on where your coworker lands. What I'm saying is, put yourself in a posture where you're—you cannot help but be aware of the other's humanity. Yes. And in that posture, you learn that and remember that they're not a threat. That the disruption isn't the threat. Our reaction to the disruption is what the threat is. And so, if we become okay with understanding, at one point you had said. I don't know whether it was in a 10 talk or something, or maybe in one of our other conversations that grace is the currency of change. And that when we understand that growth requires grace and grace, isn't forgiveness from sin. Grace is the space we need in order to grow. Yeah, And, that, and I think that when we allow for that grace space to occupy our conversations and our relationships, what we have, then is an assurance that someone else's growth isn't going to choke me out, that there's space for both of us in this. And, you know, I was thinking when you were talking about how when we we're talking about those question askers and how we think about them, when we have a toddler, we are not asked more questions in our entire world as we are in those couple, like those 18 months of yeah. having a three and four year old, right? Like that span. Mm-hmm. And most of them are why, And although it may feel like it some days, your talker's not asking you questions to ruin your life. They're not trying to threaten you with the questions. They are starving for a deeper understanding. Why don't we give everybody that same grace?
0: Hmm. Why aren't
1: we thinking, even if their intention in asking questions is not honorable, what if we responded as if it was? Yeah. We took every question as a genuine cry for more information and more connection. Same some people ask questions just to be crap disturbers and jerks, but somehow we've swung the pendulum from going, oh, someone who asks a question wants more information to someone who asks a question is being combative. What if we swing back and respond in a way that just sees a question as an opportunity to interact rather than um, the necessity to defend? Because the question itself doesn't destroy our unity, it is our reaction to the question. And it is how we frame the asker of those questions, which breaks down. If the onus is not on the question asker, it's on us and how we respond to them.
0: Yeah. I'm, uh, I think if we could start viewing questions as opportunities for connection, rather than disruption, even from a crap disturber, what yep. if we started going, that's somebody who has a real need for connection? And and can I create a space within me to connect? That that is my highest goal is relational connection with that person. I think of um in in history, you'll you'll the the Methodist movement uh was George Whitfield and John Wesley were two of the big people that kind of started that movement and when you read about their story with one another and how they they actually ended up in like really different theological places one ended up in a place of uh, a more calvinist understanding of like predestination and uh like they they had and then and the other one was was more i think the word would be armenian um And anyways, somehow they managed to look rather than be like, there was, there was a time I think where they were, they would have, they would have words with one another, but eventually there was this release of, I just see that God is working in you, even though I cannot get myself to believe what you're believing. Like, I think it was Wesley who said that, um, Calvin's God is worse than the devil. Like, they they had definite differing opinions when it came to the end of it, and yet they sort of just went, "You got to be you, and you've got to walk in your lane and do your thing." And and they, even though they kind of built different. And this is where I'm starting to feel anxious. Like, am I am I really getting my history right here? But I'm I'm certain that they had very different roles to fill. One was more organizational and structural. One was more charismatic speaker and all the rest of that. But they just want God is at work in your life. And rather than trying to win you over to my way, I release you as a brother in Christ to follow your way and to keep pursuing God and to keep creating these these moments of transformation and change in your ministry and god has got to be bigger than our understanding of god
1: and this is where we come back to sort of what we talked about last time is removing the fear from our faith
0: mm-hmm. so that we
1: can trust god at work in other people mm-hmm. and that's where the crux of community is is recognizing and trusting god at work in other people can you trust The God you believe in enough to leave him to go to work on someone else without you meddling. Yeah. And without you taking it personal if it doesn't look like how God's working on you. Yeah. And you know, there's always this like, well, what about this? And how do we traverse this? And the base of what we're talking about here is can you trust God to go to work in someone else as He's going to work on you? Do you have enough grace and enough trust to do that? And if that's the case the things you don't understand, the things you don't agree with, the things you can't sort out or reconcile within yourself are not your business. As long as there is a respectful recognition recognition of other people's humanity, it's not your business to get involved in. Now, if you cross the line and are now in attack mode of other people, we are called to hold each other accountable and that's a whole nother conversation and a whole nother way of practically how do you do that in conversations? But for right now, as you're sorting out, how do you maintain relationship and connection while you 're in this season of renovation and reexamining your faith? The key is having grace and trust that God's at work in you and in others yeah and that um, you don't have to be the Holy Spirit for other people
0: yeah and i th- I think i I, I want to say this is reminding me of the story of Paul and Barnabas and like they had words with one another. It, it wasn't like, it was not a small,
1: it wasn't a hiccup. It was like,
0: no, no. earthquake in the church. Yeah. And yet maturity looked like a coming back together and, and honoring who the other was and then going and and, staying in your lane you know but but it it wasn't i think we can have this picture of early church stuff like well everybody got along and everybody did the same thing and everybody thought the same way and i think
1: if that was the case half of the testament wouldn't have been written because it's it's paul and others sorting out disagreements Mm -hmm. because and this is the other piece of it, when you care about something so deeply and it's so connected to your heart, you are going to be passionate about it and you are going to be impassioned in your speech, which is automatically going to rub somebody the wrong way because they're impassioned on a different side of things. How you come in the midst of that diverse passion and form a community is super important and it's what we're called to do as Jesus
0: followers. Yeah, I think that our tendency to um wanting to create these us and them as, as the defining piece of our community. And, um, I think there are, I would say there are four postures that we can adopt that will help keep us from that, where we, where we, you know, decide who's to blame. And then we, you know, say, well, but we're on God's side. So now we're allowed to say and do whatever we want. Things that are completely un-jesus-y in order to address this grievous thing that has happened and I think there are that that is a, a way of being that is as old as the hills and and you can see it throughout history like whenever there's these movements of change there there are someone is determined to be the enemy and then we we give permission to um degrade their humanity in some way. Like we'll talk about them in ways that dehumanize them. So then that gives us permission to whatever the call to action is. Now we can farewell them. Now we can take our spears and pitchforks to them. Now we can remove them from our fellowship. And then we have this like, because we're doing God's work, it's okay that we're engaging in all these behaviors. So I think that's a common, you'll find those elements, whether it's whether it's historically where, you know, we say that we're allowed to go and declare war on this group of people, or we write on our Twitter feed that farewell person, I have nothing to do with you anymore because we don't think the same because you've just, you've crossed my boundary. I wanna invite us to a few practices that maybe can, help build community. And um, so I'm wondering if there's a way we can do this together, because I'm going to throw out an idea and then I want you to share what you think that looks like. So the first one is commit to choosing dignity or seeing God's image in the other person. How does that look for someone across the table? I think.
1: Jeez, man, you didn't give me any prep. This Sorry. is cool. No, no, it's cool because it is. It's one of those moments where you're in that that moment and and it is finding your footing of recognizing that God created this person. This is like this human being in front of me is as loved, as valued, and as intentionally here on this planet as I am yeah that's like that is an inner talk that I have to do even like watching the news sometimes I'm like yeah God created this person you know they God loves this person this is intention I don't get them at all but I don't have to that's not my responsibility in this moment my responsibility is to recognize their humanity on the very basic level that my humanity needs to be recognized and honored.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, uh, a helpful narrative has been if I knew their story, they would make sense to me Uh, and I might not agree with them or I might go, wow, that, you know, but I think that people at their court, all the negative behaviors or things that we perceive to, to be difficult, they all have, like, we all do things for reasons. We're not conscious of all those reasons, but it, that's how, that's the narrative that one aside, like what you're talking about is absolutely true. And then just remembering that people's stories make sense, how you wind up where you are makes sense. And, and I think when we become conscious of our own narrative and our own story that has brought us somewhere—it makes it easier to be gracious towards somebody else's story that we don't understand. So um, the second thing that I posture—I think that could can help us—is developing humility or remembering the humanity of of the person across from you. And um, just to give you a heads up on this one, I'm I'm going to say humility we've we've got something in in this christian culture that we call humility that i want to call bs on and that is thinking of yourself as crap and that everything you do is nothing and that that is supposedly humble and i'm going to call that false pride that's not what we're talking about when we're saying um remember humility. So for me, it's more about remembering actually the created goodness in each person, which kind of connects to the first one, but then also remembering I don't know everything and I can't and I will not in this life and maybe never know everything. So that I think is, is, is another posture that can help us. What would you add to that?
1: I think it's an extension of that as is entering conversations with sometimes literally open hands. There's research that shows that if you're all clenched up in a, in a conversation, it's harder for you to receive from the other person. So Mm -hmm. sometimes if I'm in a conversation and I'm getting a little jacked up, I try to unclench my hands and remember I have something to learn from the person in front of me. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is something that I want to take away. From them and their experience, and maybe it's something that I never want to be. And so, either way, that humility is understanding that I don't know anything, I don't know everything, and there is always something to learn from the person across the table from me.
0: Yeah. Uh, a third third thing that I would say is just a commitment to peace and nonviolence, which I think. Uh, what I'm not saying again is I'm not saying avoid conflict and everything is fine. Right. Like, but my commitment to not degrading someone or being, because there, there is more ways to be violent than just physical violence. I think we, we see a lot of violence with our words and, and, and hatred in our words. And I just think Jesus invites us to a way of peace and a way of um, still having a standard that, that is, is non-abusive and non-violent without harming the 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 dignity of of the other person so um
1: and that can open up a whole other conversation on patriarchy and toxic masculinity where we are led to believe and have been taught that the way to defend is through violence right and that's not the case mm-hmm. um, it doesn't have to be and it was not supposed to be and so i agree like the non-violent communication I'm not just talking about putting hands on people I'm talking about the way we approach a conversation and eviscerating someone isn't the way of Jesus and honestly it's something I know that my words I can easily weaponize them and I can easily take the stuffing out of people with what I say so I have to be really careful not to fall into that habit because I do feel good in the moment I'm like There you are, you're done, man. I just cooked you for dinner, yeah. But that's not the way of Jesus, and I know that, and I know better, so I need to do better,
0: yeah. I, yeah, I think it's that, that like boom is not probably me and my best self, like, I'm probably not bringing the kingdom to that conversation. But it is so tempting because we've been steeped, like, we don't even realize the the ocean we're swimming in and, and dominance and smackdown and yeah, like top that one, buddy. And that is a, a posture that feels so familiar. It's so and you know, and my personality can be very big and very dominating. And if especially if I feel threatened, so then the job becomes then an inside job. Yeah, To deal with whatever is going on in me so that I don't choose the way of oppression and gaslighting and dominance and smackdown. And it is yeah. so tempting, but we are called to enter conflict, but with a mission of peace and reconciliation and understanding and curiosity and I guess that would bring me to the last thing is maintaining a position of curiosity over certainty and the thing is is that those dominant structures that lead to violent exchanges whether it's word action thought towards one another are all based on certitude and so when we can start having curiosity over certitude I think it facilitates uh, a community that has more room for growth and opportunity. And so maybe my question to you would be, what are some curious questions or curious postures that that help you out? Because I think sometimes all these things, when we're in the moment, we might not be able to think of it if we've never taken the time to engage with the idea that, that there might be a different way. So what are some curious questions for you that, that help you when those desires to smack down with certainty come up in you? Um,
1: one of the first ones is, what am I not seeing? Like, mm. what have I, what am I missing here? Um, and who am I not hearing? And so sometimes that is, if someone's giving me their opinion and I'm like, that's kind of hard to take. Uh, I have to ask you, so whose voice is missing in this? Like, is there a perspective that they're not hearing or that I haven't heard that makes this make more sense or will help me filter this? Um, but usually it's, is there something? Yeah. What am I not seeing in this? And it's not always someone that I disagree with either. there's sometimes people say something I'm like, "Well, that's really interesting. I've never thought about that before. So why haven't I thought about it? Like what are the things that that connect and I think that um, doing the back end work of being okay with mystery mm-hmm. and even as simple as like not finishing a mystery novel for ages like I'll I used to read them all the time and now I'd say probably about three years ago I was reading one and I put it down about two chapters till the end and it was bugging my friend like have you finished it yet have you finished it yet I'm like no I became okay with the mystery unsolved and I will re- finish it eventually but for me it is one of those visual reminders when I see the book with the little bookmark in it it's okay if I don't have every mystery sorted and that doesn't threaten my faith. It doesn't mean I'm a weak believer. It doesn't mean that I'm easily swayed because if I'm not standing for something, I'll fall for anything. It's none of that garbage we've been fed. It is I'm okay in mystery. Because even if I don't know, someone knows and it'll be okay. As long as God knows.
0: Yeah, I think something that I've learned from you are are some of those curious questions about who's missing from the conversation. What am I not seeing? What am I not hearing? Rather than hearing a part and deciding, I know all the motivators. I know all the things going on behind the scenes. Um, I love that I've learned that from you, to look for that or to to stay in the curiosity, to not have the goal be the resolution of all things. Um I, I've appreciated that, and I think uh, a couple of phrases that I've learned that help is um, tell me more, say more, uh, tell me more about that, and that's not a statement of agreement. That's just a statement of curiosity. And when I'm when I move into my relationships or those places where things feel difficult or there isn't an understanding, but I, I go, tell me more like that, or even, um, to give myself permission, say, I'm not sure if I agree with that right now, but tell me more.
1: I also think it's important when we're communicating things that we do believe and things that we are passionate about. And if we find ourselves in disagreement with someone, it's important that, the language we choose in presenting our ideas is let's leave out things like you have no idea or, you know, you don't know what you're talking about or listen to me, like these abrasive attack phrases that automatically shut down the conversation. So when I'm in a conversation with someone and there is some disagreement and they're not driving with what I'm saying, I'll say, have you considered this? Or in my experience, this is what, whatever, or I feel it is this. And so I take it on me rather than putting it on them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because when we throw stuff at other people, they put up shields and walls. And so mm-hmm. as long as we're offering our opinion, and there are sometimes I want to scream at someone like, you don't know what the heck you're talking about, because what they're saying is so asinine to me i'm not saying i'm internally i have no saints even externally i'm not and i'm not i'm not perfect and i don't have it all sorted out i'm in the trenches in the middle of the mess trying to figure out a better way forward and so my thought process isn't all pure and holy i'm not walking on the water to meet jesus i'm not sinking what i am is trying to filter my words in a way that allows for the maximum amount of connection and understanding even when I disagree with someone and so there are frustrating times there are times I come home and I talk (coughs) to my husband or I message Karina or one of my other friends and I'm like I just had the most ridiculous conversation with someone and I am praying for Jesus to fall on that person hard and then we have a conversation about my own posture and how do I pray for that person and how do I pray for myself for understanding in that rather than Jesus fix them, it's Jesus
0: fix our connection. That's really good advice. I think
1: Jesus to fall hard on people, but that's (laughs) my humanity.
0: Right. Well and I think I think that if if we can have the picture of uh was it you that was talking about the, the people that had mirrors on, um, to facing out to protesters. No. Okay. Sorry. There, there was, I've heard the story about this, this group. It might've even been like a really extreme fringe group. Like they were dealing with Westboro Baptist or something like that. And instead of having, um, placards they had mirrors so that people could see themselves in their protest wow. and that became a picture for me when I'm getting riled up about something I I want a mirror so that I can see what am I reflecting to that other person Ouch! And, yeah. yeah and and what am I projecting towards that other person, because generally speaking, and I hate admitting this is true, but I've got the therapy bills to prove it, that often what I get most upset about is something in me that I'm not willing to embrace and accept. And it might not be same issue, same whatever, but it's, it's a way of being within me that keeps me from being in full connection with myself and with other people. And so I want to picture that mirror being there, saying, what is preventing connection in me right now? And what am I reflecting that's keeping connection from across me right now? And so for me, I get super frustrated with things like being dogmatic. I really have a hard time with a lot of the theology that that undergirds so much of Western Christianity, yeah. but I have to see that in me and make peace with it in me, so that I can be a messenger of mercy and compassion and connection and become transformed in the way the my way of being with other people, and so that. Um, all of those things, that being curious, being humility, remembering dignity, um, commitment to nonviolence, those are first things that I have to build in myself because we cannot give what we don't have. That is a kingdom principle. And as we follow the way of Jesus, we're going to be challenged to live in the way Jesus lived. And, and so I want to have that mirror that calls me to grace and not judgment, that calls me to ask those questions that I'm so grateful I've learned from you. Um, and the humility to just say, I don't know, sometimes, I think can help foster community where we can have true diversity which means we are different and yet we have unity because we recognize we belong together and that is the only way we're going to build something compelling that invites people to experience a god who is diverse and unified who's in constant communion with all of god and who desires connection and community with us and so it's an invitation to a much bigger and broader reality than maybe we've been on and so i would i would hope that as we move through these growth transformation changes in our faith we will learn to pick up a spirit that is different than we built the original thing in and find something that is life-giving, find something that looks more like Jesus, find something that has the fruit of love, and that is shaped more like love.
1: I agree, and I, I love that we are just starting this journey, and that we, you and I, in these conversations, by no means have everything sorted out, but I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk it out, and I hope that those of you listening, embrace that opportunity also, like, uh, we're in it, we're here for this, for the conversations, for the connections, for the community, and it's diversity that makes us beautiful, and so I just pray, and my hope and prayer for you, as you're listening, is that you will be brave enough to trust God to lead you through this process, wherever you are in the
0: process. Thanks for listening. To continue the conversation and help grow the We Should Record This community, head over to our website at www.weshouldrecordthis.com, where you can share and subscribe to the podcast or sign up for our newsletter. There we're going to share resources, articles, and ideas that will help you to keep these conversations going. You can also find us at We Should Record This on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.